Welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette, and on the line with me is Chris uh, Palomares and our uh, guest from Soundtracks, uh, George Bogatuck. And we're going to be talking about some interesting uh, topics. Can you hear us, George? Yeah, I can hear you guys just fine. Okay, very good. Can you hear me? Yep, you're there. Okay, so uh, interesting project that that came up was, uh, and I emailed uh, George about this, asking for his opinion and insight. Uh, but I had purchased a Scale Trains CSX rebuilt version, and they named it SD40-3. And I uh, had a modified cab and so forth on it. So I got this in. And like most of my locomotives I order, I order them in just DC ready. And I like to do the installs myself. Plus, I don't always uh, agree with the choice the manufacturer makes as to who. I'm a Tsunami Economy man just uh, excellent motor control, and they have graphic equalizers, which allows you know you to tune the audio file to the capabilities of the speaker and the installation. So beautiful locomotive, incredible detail, uh, just gorgeous. And the factory units come with ESU. So. Their motherboard, which is a beautiful motherboard, of course, is ESU, and because uh, that's what their factory things are, and it's a 21-pin version. So as I'm playing around with this thing, and I plug in my uh, Tsunami 21-pin, and headlights are working as they should, the number boards as they should, but there are a couple quirky things happened. One, I could never get the ditch lights to work. And this particular decoder, and it may have been a problem with the decoder, would only program under road number three, nothing under the cab number. So anyway, after a while, and then I couldn't get the ditch lights to work. And so in speaking with a friend of mine, he said, well, there's a couple configurations of a 21-pin decoder. There's the Soundtracks 21PNEM, and then there's another version and so forth, and they don't always play well together. So I went, okay. So I had the decoder in, put it on, you know, fired it up on the test track once I got some basic programming done. And did not like the sound. And I have uh, J.T. Burke's scale sound system uh, isobaric uh, speakers that he designed for the scale trains SD40s to fit. So I go, I'm reading the instructions on how to, you know, where's the speaker and how to get into it and all that stuff. And... 
I've detailed this on a blog entry on model railroad hobbyists, by the way. So there's two screws for this housing. And inside this housing is a mount. It's a molded part that'll accept two sugar cubes. But <laughs> all of the uh, light leads for the rear of the train which are ditch lights, number board lights, and then the headlight, rear headlight, are routed across the top of this speaker enclosure. They've very uh, nicely molded or cast a channel in there for the, uh, the wires to run through. So that means you got to take all these wires apart. Then you got to unscrew it, and then you can get on the inside, but... I had not disconnected anything yet because I was thinking, okay, I'll still make this motherboard work with this economy. And so I put the speaker in, put it back in. And one of the things I noticed was it, you know, they have this beautiful body with five uh, roof fans that are pretty uh, transparent. And I go, oh, what a good place to put a, you know, to route the sound through. But they fire it down through turns out to be a very small opening and it's where the truck mounts and it's still got to go around the drive line and all this stuff so once i put the shell back on it just to test it out i went i don't i don't like the sound quality because i know how well jt speakers can sound so i sent off an email to george to see if he had any ideas off uh, another email to scale trains and said hey what am i missing here and got a response back from everybody and uh, as well as uh nick santos on his uh that makes the decoder buddy uh boards and the consensus was it's probably just an incompatibility with the way soundtracks is wired their particular 21 pin and the ESU pin. So I went, okay, I'm going to take this out. If I'm not happy with the sound, I'm going to modify this opening. So I thought, all right, I want to make it so the speaker can be mounted into the frame and fire up through the fans because that's where it's located in the back by the fans. So I had the speaker out and I traced it with... Uh, a pencil onto this metal housing that you remove. And then I confirmed it with uh, caliper measurements that was there. Then I took, you know, I wish I had a really nice uh, <laughs> band saw, but I don't. So I took a hobby saw. Uh, it looks like a miniature hacksaw with a brand new metal blade. And I just started, because I had two vertical cuts to make and then a, two horizontals. And I just traced the lines very slowly, very gently, until I got a groove, did that on both sides. And then I could apply a little bit more force and work my way down through the body. Now, this piece is so small that it didn't lend itself to any of my C-clamps or anything like that. So I just used my free hand on a flat board to hold it, and like I said, I was going 
slow and gently through this. So it took about 10 minutes to saw this opening. And I put a photo of it on the, the blog. And then to get the, the lateral cut to lift this thing off, I had to fall back to my Dremel. And I put a brand new, they call them thin cut, metal rotary blades on there. And again, just I lowered the speed to where I could control it and it wouldn't bite. And I just scribed that straight line on both sides and then kicked speed up a little bit and then gradually, you know, just kept going back and forth till I penetrated that wall and then enlarged it as much as I could. Pulled it out, took the saw blade out of the saw and went in and just finished off the four corners where the there was a little metal left where the blade couldn't, you know, the Dremel blade couldn't cut. Took it out, did a trial fit of the uh, JT speaker in there, just fit like a glove. And, you know, a little file work to dress up the cuts and then little black paint so it all blended in. Mounted his speaker and it just looked like it was always intended to be that way. So then the rest of yesterday and today was just reinstalling or installing the Tsunami 2 running all the wires, you know, again, burying them within the the grooves that uh, Scale Trains has designed in the frame, just done very well. And then put it on the test track and fired it up and just a world of difference in obviously the volume, but the clarity of the sound throughout, you know, the upper bass, throughout the mid-range and then up in the uh, the high frequencies by getting that sound coming directly at you versus, you know, bouncing around this metal frame and then this real tiny opening. So uh, I was very happy. And again, like I say, it's a beautiful locomotive and a uh, combination of JT's speakers and George's decoder worked out very, very well. Uh, and I sent photos off to uh, Scale Trains. And I said, look, here's something you might consider downstream. And the guy wrote me back and said, hey, thank you. He said, I'm a big fan of JT speakers. And so I said, well, it makes, yeah, makes a big difference in how it sounds and now that I've got it up got the speed table that Chris sent me installed in it uh, this is my first scale train it I gotta admit it is very smooth running even at one speed step you know just does well it's yeah runs as well as any of the T2 equipped late production Genesis units I've got so I'm a happy camper it sounds like a, quite an install you had to do. Yes, and I've, one of the things I've noticed at the at the Model Railroad Club is there are a lot of scale trains, uh, locomotives, and one of the big differences because 
you know, on the, the T2s that I've got, which has been my standard since right after uh, Soundtracks introduced it, was, and I started using JT speakers, is tuning the speaker to accommodate the lower mm -hmm. frequencies and stuff. And a uh, couple of the guys were talking on this either Saturday morning or whenever when I was over working on the uh, scenery, talking about the scale trains and how complex they felt the inside of it was with the wires and so forth, which was why they, you know, they all buy them DCC uh, equipped. And so I said, well, here, I'm going to bring mine in. This is what I've done and stuff. So I've got some guys interested in how this little experiment uh, worked because there's just, you know, Chris, it's like when uh, I first started doing Atherin units and putting a tsunami in them and taking out the MRC speakers and putting either the Railmasters or somebody like that. And it was a whole new world of sound just because of the quality of the, the speaker there. So it's, uh, yeah, it makes, it makes a difference. So, but oh, I yeah. haven't heard your guys, the Atherin, uh, sugar cubes yet some withholding judgment on that because i'm sure you've done a good job on those yeah check out uh we have a number of products out on the market now that have uh the dual cube speaker okay. uh, and it's also available as a separate part on through our website so okay All um, right. the other option that that just came in too a couple other parts are, are uh the 21 pin motherboards for both the rtr motor and then also the genesis motor they okay. have different mounts and, and they're the 21 mm -hmm. uh, configuration compatible with the soundtracks yeah we, we definitely tested it with soundtracks and okay. a couple other well uh, i actually i actually kind of want to address that that comment because okay. the 21 pin the 21 pin actually doesn't have anything to do with the sound pins or the motor pins. The only differences between any of these 21 pin motherboards is how they address the higher lighting functions. Okay. Um, the the actual pins, the actual pins for the speaker should go directly to the speaker connections on that circuit board, whether it be uh, a two pin, you know, two connection solder tabs. Um, or a two-pin connector like I've seen in some of, like, say, some of the Intermountain stuff where they'll put a two-pin wire harness in there that you apparently can't get except through them. Okay. Um, and so the only difference in that regard is that is that aspect. And the higher functions, and, and kind of let me go back in history a little bit, okay. is that when we were first starting to work on the Economy project, um, we went into the NMRA. We're an NMRA company. We went into the NMRA specs to look and see, and they had adopted a 21 pin or, or approved and agreed to a 21 pin standard. But the difference is, is that, that at this point, the FX5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and so forth were finished lighting circuits that you wire a light or an LED directly to. And the NEM distinction, they required or use either a transistor and some diodes or something, or I don't remember the exact components, but it's just a couple of components basically to finish the lighting effect for the FX5, 6, 7, and 8. So when we built this economy and we started shipping it, we plug it into a model. At the time, you would get the headlight backup light and the two ditch lights, which is FX3 and 4. 
and then the FX5 and 6, which are normally like a rotary beacon or something like that, wouldn't illuminate because they're following the European standard. And that's kind of what happened is, is the NMRA sort of got a little ramrodded in the fact that uh, a lot of these companies had switched for whatever reason over to a European-based company that a lot of those motherboards are now European accommodating, even though the NMRA actually has a 21-pin standard. And I will say that the Atherin board is more closely following the NMRA standard, even though there are still probably, I think, those components on there. But when you wire to that motherboard, you're getting the lighting function coming out. Um, and so the only difference between those pin diagrams were how those FX5678 were handled. Okay. Um, but otherwise, otherwise everything else was identical. So even if you take, anyway, the point being was that we, when we realized this was a big difference, we switched over. And now the Economy uh, 21P is designated with an NEM as well as the TSU is a 21P NEM because it's following that European type um, quote unquote standard. And I'll explain that comment in a second, but they're following that protocol so that that way we can still communicate with those higher lighting functions, A, assuming that uh, they're wiring the model correctly. And where okay. this comes into play, and this is why I say quote, this is why I say quote unquote standard is because a lot of these models are now coming, they're, they're making them proprietary under the guise of a standard. Um, they're, the scale trains, for example, if you look closely at that motherboard, it sounded like you removed um, you'll actually see a secondary processor on the motherboard, and that's how they control a lot of the lights. And so until they share that protocol or that language with me, it's not a standard. It's all proprietary. Okay. And so that's why I would encourage things like uh, like Nick's, uh, um, what is it called, the decoder buddy yes. or the Atherin 21-pin motherboards is because you don't need those extra motherboard. You don't need that extra uh, processor on there to control the lights. You can just wire it up, and you don't have to worry about it because when you have to – upload or uh, download your sound files and software, it's also sending a programming command to that secondary processor. And so even if we were to go in and backwards compatible, try to figure it out and understand the language and be able to implement it, they would just change it. So again, it's not a standard, okay. but it's under the guise that it's standardized. And so that's why I like that Nick's train or Nick's uh, decoder buddy or the Atherin 21 pin is because you can take that motherboard out and now you can have full control of all those lights. You don't have to worry about using a proprietary thing. And kind of along those lines, kind of like what you were talking about with your, your fellow club members and their, you know, the whole I'll buy it with it factory installed is, you know, that's something that we're struggling with because in one hand, I can see like, for example, Chris and the guys at these guys are serious modelers. These are the guys that are, you know, doing this day in and day out. I mean, Chris, Chris and I, we talk all the time about our own personal models and things like that. And so they understand the performance and, and what is good for a modeler and why they want all the extra features. Whereas I can't say that about some of the other companies in which, you know, they have a guy there who may casually be interested in it. And so they're just kind of following whatever, uh, whatever their factory or whatever one of their guys decides to do. And so that's where you get these proprietary things. Well, and I'm glad you you mentioned that because to clarify, even when I was put the original economy board on the scale trains motherboard, uh, I did get headlights, number boards, and the sound and motor control. What I couldn't get access to, and it, you just explained why, were the ditch lights. Yep. And so 
once I put the board in and hooked up Decoder Pro yesterday and, you know, in two minutes I had all the lights in, you know, the way I wanted them to operate, dish lights, number boards, whatever. So, but you clarified exactly. it. Now I understand. And okay. I have one of those train buddy things or decoder buddy said, I keep forgetting what it's actually called. So I apologize. I'm decoder buddies. It, but I have decoder buddy. So I have one of his decoder buddies here that I've got for an Intermountain tier four that I'm going to do the installation and the George upgrade, which is including all the step lights, walkway lights, number boards, um, including, and I'll give Chris credit for this, the blue flashing light on the dash. <laughs> <laughs> and the blue light special. Blue lights. Yeah. Yes. All right. And then, well, that, that, that brings us up to um, a related topic because uh, one time before, George, and I think on the podcast we were talking about the new Atherin SGP40Fs, and you had mm-hmm. mentioned that the way to keep the auxiliary lights on in contest was uh, CV247? Yes, there's, so with with 28 functions, um, we ran out of uh, bits in CVs 21 and 22 for advanced consisting. Okay. And I'm actually going to be, and to just kind of throw a little personal plug here, we're going to be doing a webinar in December on, consisting every aspect of it we're going to cover everything in detail um and so be stay tuned for the dates and time on that but okay um to finish and to finish answering your question what happened is is because we ran out of bits there's only uh 16 bits but there's 28 functions and so we needed somewhere to do to okay. so that we could enable these and so we added 245 and 246 for function 13 through 28 across the two uh, CVs and they work exactly the same way 21 and 22 do, but they're 13, 14, 15, and so on all the way up to 28. Now, the part you're talking about is CV 247, which is the auto illumination of the lights. For example, I think it was the SDP 40 that had the uh, truck lights and the number boards were automatically illuminated. Yes. And what happens is, is in the consist, if you don't enable that automatic light function in the consist as well, then they will not illuminate. And with our decoders, you can turn on any light or any sound effect to happen automatically when you are in one of four conditions. And that is moving in the forward direction, moving in the reverse direction, stopped in the forward direction, and stopped in the reverse direction. Your decoder is always gonna exist in one of those four conditions, no matter what you're doing with it. It's either moving or stopped in forward or reverse. And so what the guys at Athern had done was they had illuminated those truck lights to be automatically in all four conditions. So as soon as track power is applied, those lights will come on. Well, in a consist, that may or may not always be the case because the truck lights, for example, are primarily there for the engineer to be able to, his, his locomotive may be moving and bouncing around, but he's in a diesel, so he's not actually feeling the ground moving as much and so the truck lights actually allow him to peer out the window and look at the ground to make sure the ground is actually moving yes and so when you get into a consist the second unit or the third unit may not have the truck lights on and so this is where that comes into play and so that's what you can decide that the lead unit only has the truck lights the trailing units you can leave it off and so 247 allows you to enable those automatic sounds and lighting effects in all four of those conditions 
Um, and that's where the automatic truck lights would then be used on the lead unit and maybe disabled on the trailing units, depending on how you want to do it. Um, okay. You can also do things like like automatic whistle signals. Uh, when you start to move in the forward direction, you can, get, you can get two blasts of the whistle or the horn in this case, and you would enable that also in that scenario so that when you're automatically moving in the forward direction, it will play that whistle signal. Okay, question then. So, so we just used the Atherin example on the uh, SD40s, uh, SDP40s. So 247, I believe you had told me the value was 31 that went in there to keep the uh, ground lights on. Now, so... Right, and that, keeps, that actually keeps all of them on. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, well, you just clarified then. So if I've got three units in advanced concept and I want the ground lights and number boards to stay on, can I do that? Yes, and you would is do that, that all primarily done on the, um, If you want them automatically enabled, it would be in two forty-seven, okay. and then uh, on trailing units, you would just disable the auto lights because the trailing units typically wouldn't have the number boards and the uh, truck lights on. But if you want them on, you can certainly enable them on the trailing unit. That's up to you. Those are your they're your trains. Okay. Well, and and good point because I want. Huh, I'm not even for sure because I haven't seen any trains at night in a long time. I thought I'd have to look at some movies or some photos to to know what they do with the consist, and it may verify or vary by road. But you've certainly offered the uh, suggestion that it's only the lead unit. Okay, well that's good. I should uh, I should qualify I should quantify that it is traditionally the lead unit. Okay. It could be the second unit. So like, say, for example, um, if you're getting onto a grade and you're picking up a helper, well, the train would still, and the part of the reason those number boards are illuminated was because they're designated as the extra number uh, 689 or whatever. And so if you picked up a helper and tacked it on the lead unit uh, um, on the front for quickness and, and you oh, know, be able to okay. add the helper quickly and go, you would still have the, the number board on the second unit because that's still your extra uh, 689 but your lead unit may not necessarily be the uh the extra number and so that way your helper can still be designated as um uh, just a helper and the the, the uh, number boards would be dark and okay. then that way any opposing train or oncoming train would be able to quickly identify hey wait and siding until extra 689 comes by if they see the lead unit's dark, they look for the second unit, and the second unit would be illuminated as 689, and then they'd see, okay, this is my train that I'm waiting for. As soon as that clears, now they're good to go and, and proceed into the dark territory or whatever. That's that's like getting ultimate ultimate nerd ultimate nerd into it, but I'm but that's part <laughs> of what makes it fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That is great. Well, people don't realize how much uh, there is as far as indication to the extra lighting of features that are now coming stock on some of these yeah. locomotives, you know. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I modeled 1978, and everything at that era was an extra. And so the, the illuminated class lights were designated as an extra, and the uh, illuminated number boards would then identify the train and number or the, you know, extra, you know, 2105. And part of what made me want to, 
point that out was I was actually seeing a picture yesterday that was on the Mopac Facebook group. And um, the reason I draw attention to it was the lead unit was long hood forward. And it was just odd that we that I would see that because there were seven GP38-2s lined up and the lead one was long hood forward. And in the comments section, I, I noticed that somebody was saying, oh, that's an those are helpers. They put them on the front end of that locomotive on that train because it was quicker. So they didn't have to do the full brake test through the tire, tire train. They tie it in front, you know, tie it into the front of the train and before they can do the brake test quick, more quickly and get on rather than tying it on the back. Now, tell me about your uh, step lights. <laughs> this has become a little bit of an obsession, I'll say, um, because, you know, you mentioned watching trains at night. Well, one of the things I do for myself at night is is I watch YouTube videos to try to go, helps turn my brain off. And one of the things i quickly... Excuse me, you're breaking up. You're breaking up badly. So when, when you talked about watching trains at night, night and light indications one of the things i tend to do is i watch youtube videos at night and that helps turn my brain off so that that way um, i'm not thinking about all the stuff i got to get done the next day i can just watch the trains and go to sleep and i found what's called virtual rail fan and this is a uh, online uh, forum and, and online video they have cameras located all around the country at hot spots for rail fanning okay. and you can just sit and watch trains <laughs> and um, so it, it's 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 ultimately the the lazy man's uh, fantastic way to be able to watch trains, because especially here in Durango, the only train we have is that nasty old steam engine that runs every day, you know, that just breaks <laughs> my heart every day when I have to watch it. But I don't, I don't get to watch the real railroad. And, and I found this by accident and I started flipping through YouTube and I found it. And one of the most one of my most favorite ones is they have one in Belen, New Mexico which is a pit stop on the transcontinental BNSF uh, Santa Fe Railroad um, that runs through Flagstaff, through Arizona, through New Mexico, Clovis, Hereford, Amarillo, and so forth, all the way up to Chicago. And at, at any point in time, there's traditionally three to four trains in view um, of this rail cam. And wow. so I got to the point where I started watching it a lot. And... And I will say there was also a little bit of so I watch this a lot at night and you can see all the lights lit up. Um, I kind of found this about the same time. I think it was last summer. Uh, uh, Matt and I Matt and I uh, were sitting outside of uh, uh, Oklahoma Joe's in downtown Kansas City. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Jack Stack. Either way, it's right across from Union Station and we're watching the trains and we were sitting there after the show, just sitting there chatting and having a good time and relaxing because the show's over, it's Sunday night, we had nowhere to go except to the hotel. And as the dark, as night fell, we started noticing all the lights and we were noticing how many lights are actually on these models. And, and so with the advent of these micro, uh, small LEDs like the 0603s and the 0402s becoming more and more popular and also having the right color and tone, I thought to myself, well, this, this is easy to do. You got to do this now for any modern locomotive, for sure. And even if you kind of look back in some of the older stuff, in actually 1977, there were a lot of uh, step lights and walkway lights and things like that as well. Um, so I decided to take it upon myself to uh, uh, take it and just run a group of, of just five or six locomotives decorated up in BNSF paint, just regular mundane 
run-of-the-mill BNSF boring units, but light them up like Christmas trees. And I've got, uh, now I have three units done right now. Um, an SD75M Athern has um, 16 LEDs in it. I've got a, two Givos. One has 19 LEDs and one has 20 LEDs in it. And, and I will tell you, wire management can be fun until I figured out I figured out a really cool way to do this. And I've got all kinds of uh, small little heat shrink tubing uh, pieces. And what I started doing, I said, well, wait a minute, I can use this for wire management. So what I started doing was gluing the heat shrink tubing up inside the shell and then just using that to route my wires up and keep them off of the frame and out of the mechanism. And I don't need to shrink it. It's just there for a conduit. It's conduit. And so then I do all the, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that helps. Uh, manage all those wires so when you've got 21 20 leds uh uh, positive and negative that's 40 wires going through not counting the track pickup motor leads um and speaker or speakers and so now you've got all those wires to manage and so i was like okay this is getting out of control and that's when i came up with that idea And, and i'll be honest i had not had anybody tell me it but at the same time, I'm hearing, you know, as I tell people about it, saying, oh, yeah, that's a great I've been doing that for years. It's like, well, then how come you aren't telling anybody? Yeah. So it's on it's on my radar to add to the soundtracks, YouTube video selections. I just haven't had time to get a shell because I want to take a dummy shell and kind of cut it out so you can see what I'm doing and why the wires are there. And I just haven't had a time to do that yet. Well, it's that time of year of shows for you and Chris. Oh, so. uh- Oh, yeah. Yep. Actually, I'm I'm actually sort of, I only have one left for the end of the calendar year. Um, Train Fest will be the last one I'm actually at officially right now. Um, And then January will start up a whole other story. But uh, right now, uh, Train Fest will be my last one. And I I know, Chris, you're going to that one, right? You bet. I'm, uh, Janik from California is coming out with me and we're going to totally uh, have a good time representing the company that's and also be modelers <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's what it's all about and that's why i love what i do and i know you do too is because not only do we get to be modelers but we get to make a living in the industry that brings us so much enjoyment and so much fun um there's really nothing like it doing what you love for a living oh i can't tell you how many times my my parents told me yeah chris i think you better get a you know a different career type thing yeah have your site <laughs> I'd set on a different career. <laughs> Lo and behold, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So Amazing. But anyway, I'll, so, so I'll give you a little insight here on what this light is. And we did a YouTube video on our soundtracks. But um, so going back to the virtual rail fan, I was watching these things at night, and I noticed there was a blue flashing light on the dash. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I asked a friend of mine who actually used to work at the BNSF, and he told me, oh, that's a blue flag. And I thought, well, what a great place to put it because it's right there on the dash. So if somebody does go in and try to you know, get start moving it, the blue flag is like right there in their face. So I started thinking about this and was like, ooh, I could add that in on one of my models. <laughs> and then and Chris had, the, had, had a great idea because I was just going to enable it with a function. I didn't think anything of it. I, it was just... It's like, okay, turn on F24, uh, my dash. And Chris had a great idea to tie it in with the sound of the handbrake. One 
one of the Tsunami 2 sounds, F15, is the handbrake. And now it doesn't actually lock the model down to prevent you from moving it. It's just a sound effect. But what a cool idea. So when we tie down the handbrake now on this model that I finished, the blue light starts to flash on the dash. Cool. And so right. now when I'm doing, if I, if I model a, uh, and I'm planning this at some point, I'm thinking I need to do Fremo style, oh, but yeah. a, a, fueling, a fueling rack. How cool would that be to be able to stop your train on that fueling rack and turn on that blue flag? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was back, I'd say way, way back, before all the modern locomotives and stuff like that, we were still kind of like using Iben lights and things like that to to do effects. Mm -hmm. um, in the early days of DCC, I'm talking around 2000, we thought we were so hot for having like uh, an extra function for the UDE light. So you could like park a bunch of locomotives in like a passenger terminal and turn on the, the UDE red light and have that thing flashing and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, we couldn't do this back with an Iben light, you know, <laughs> but now, now that the blue light thing just totally kicks it up another notch, although kind of similar in premise. I think, it, I think it'd be just awesome to have like a bunch of modern locomotives around each kind of with their own little flash rate and stuff, you know? So, yep. So I've got one of them done and my, like I said, the next, uh, locomotives will probably be, I'm thinking three or four more, depending on what I decide. And, uh, all of those will be equipped with them. Okay. All right. Well, you've, you've, uh, motivated me to take the, uh, last two locomotives I've converted to sound and now go back and add some step lights on it at least. And, uh, <laughs> You know, in its think about step lights though, Paul. Is once you do one unit, you got to do them all. Yeah, it's addicting, and it's and it's uh, like exactly the the other one. It's a commitment. Same without it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Ed. Well, I surprised at the clubs how many guys noticed the ground lights that I've put. Cause I've probably got a dozen locomotives now that I put ground lights in. And they're going, you put in ground lights. Yeah. We're going to show you how to do that on a Saturday morning, you know, seminar here. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's easy, but there's some tricks that that help you along. And one of them, George, is, as you mentioned, uh, I pulled the, the body off an E-unit the other day because he was wondering how I managed the wire snake on this E-unit. Because they had mm -hmm. no boards, gyro, headlight, and ground light. And I said, conduit used as, uh, or I'm sorry, shrink tube used as conduit. And so I mm -hmm. showed him, and he went, wow. And I went, yeah, just kind of serendipity. And here, George, you've been doing that probably longer than I have. So, No, I've actually only got one unit that I've done it with. The other oh, two okay. that I talked about, all yeah. of those have have the hornet's nest in there the wires are taped <laughs> or siliconed into the corners because yes. i hadn't had that thought yet okay it uh yeah i've done the silicone uh trick too and then chris said double stick tape you guys use that you know mm -hmm. like you put up in the shell and then you lift it off and it's sticky on both sides oh yeah i bought a mm -hmm. roll of that and i could not get it in 
without being all over my fingers everywhere it didn't need to be. And yeah, so you I know, went, I open up an Ather shell, Paul, and I wonder the same thing. It's like, how did they do that? <laughs> that's right. Better people than me. So that's, you know, was one of the motivators for conduit. So, because you can hold it in place with like crystal clear or any of those other uh, cements, even yep. silicone. Yeah, uh, and the silicone over the tape, if you ever want to remove it, I mean, the tip of the number 11 blade will cut through it and you can scrape it off and start anew. You don't have residue left around. Okay. Well, I had uh, sent some pictures to Chris of a finding that I'm trying to flush out some of my steam-powered trains for the uh, transition era. And I was getting ready to buy a, a, a number of 8,000, 10,000 gallon tank cars, single dome. Back then they would have been 103. Some of them were riveted. Some of them would have been welded, but you know, standard bearing trucks and so forth. And I see a listing in eBay for old metal-bodied tank car kits. And so I go, wow, didn't know anything existed. So I called up the listing, and there it was, and I went, good grief, that looks like an Atherin box. So called up the photos individually and looked at them, and I went, that is an Atherin box. And so ended up buying, the guy had three, and I bought all three of them. They're metal bodies. It's tubed. They're fully painted. You have to install the, the tank ends, the dome, the subdome, and the frame, but all those parts are metal. Uh, there's oh. very few plastic molded parts, and they're sprung trucks. And I went, this is so cool. And it had never been opened. All these pieces are still in the little paper envelopes. And Atherin, way back then, lined the uh, the tank on the outside with a clingy plastic to keep it from chipping. And uh, so I peeled that off, and it's just like they're new. So they're already lettered. All this, you just have to paint the other parts. And so I got the instructions out, and I opened it up, because these are white boxes with now a very faded red atherin on it and wow i've never known so that yeah so i'm reading the instructions and i'm looking for the copyright date on the print on the instructions and i had to get out my magnifying glass to find it 1950 wow i was two years old in 1950 so Weren't the dinosaurs roaming the earth back then? <laughs> yes, they were. Yes, they were. <laughs> well, the story I always heard, right, right or wrong, was that Mr. Atherin's main business was making auto parts and appliance parts or something like that. And I guess the story goes that he was a model railroader. And especially when he was starting to do automotive parts, 
and you'd had the summer shutdowns for the model changeover, he started making kits and stuff of, you know, phasing from metal into plastic to fill the summers. And he was, you know, doing batch manufacturing, which made sense to me because I've known other real-life companies to do that. But anyway, that's the version of the story I heard. But yes, I've got three of these things, 1950 on the instruction sheet. Dang, it yes. almost makes you not want to build it and try to collect your item. Well, I've looked for others on eBay. Couldn't find any more. Didn't care whether they were tank car or anything. I sure. found some yellow box, you know, because the blue box before the previous mm-hmm. runs mm-hmm. were yellow. And these mm-hmm. were white. So I will probably, because they are such a beautiful car, I may... I may hold one of them back and build the other two and <laughs> make them a part of my transition era fleet that can go behind, you know, GP7s or uh, steam. So Nice. But I thought Chris will appreciate this. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you for sending that to me, Paul. Yeah. It's uh, really neat. So that, that was way back when Atherin was still a startup company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like yeah. three years old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is, is that how old they were back then? So they started in the late 40s? Yeah, 47. No kidding. Yep. Okay, see, I didn't know that. That's cool. And even though, you know, Mr. Atherin has since passed away, I mean, his company is doing great things. It's called a I legacy. Agree. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I keep watching the uh, magazines and the internet, Chris, looking for all these product announcements that you hinted at in the last podcast. Haven't seen any quite uh-huh. yet. Well, but that's because it's closer, not Frank right? this time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, now, bring me up to date, maybe other listeners too, about Train Fest. When and where? It's Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What is it, George, the 8th and 9th of November? Yeah, I think that sounds right, because I fly out on the 6th. I'm going to be down at Lombard Hobbies on the <laughs> Thursday, the 7th. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, uh, 9th and 10th, I think it is. It, in, it's whatever that Saturday, Sunday is at in uh, West Dallas, uh, Milwaukee, um, at the fairgrounds, I believe, next to the Milwaukee Mile. You're right. You're, you're right. It is the 9th and 10th. Um, okay. And it, I got my setup day as the eighth, so. Okay. Uh, to me, that's just like just part of the show, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. Remember, I don't think you were around or working for Athern at the time, but remember, Train Fest used to be three days. They used to have a a special exhibit on Friday where you could pay extra money to come in and oh, spend right. time with the manufacturers. So we had to be done and ready to go by like two o'clock because they were opening the doors at five, four or five o'clock. And then they were serving like a, a banquet style dinner, one of those um, catered dinners where you could go in and get dinner. And then you had one on one, only like 200 people through the door, you know, spread out of all the manufacturers in this area. Um, and I think they did away with that like five, four or five years ago, six years ago, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I think the my first train fest was the last time they did that. Um, okay. And I remember having to actually set up all day Thursday and then 
wow. finish everything up Friday morning, and then it was showtime. Kind of like how the national train show is a little bit, you know? Yep, yep. Yeah, because we always had to coordinate because we'd have to set up in the morning because we'd usually fly out Thursday, get there, and then Friday morning was set up. And now, granted, it doesn't take us that long to throw out, you know, some tracks and locomotives with decoders, put out signs and so forth. So we've got a little bit of an advantage in that regard, whereas you guys have all the models and everything that have to come out. Um, but we set up Friday morning and then we'd have to go get lunch somewhere and then and come back and be ready right. to go. And we and that would be four hours and it would be slow, but it was open. I think it was like either four to eight or, or five to eight or something like that. I forget, but it was just long enough that you're like, you know, you start, you start thinking, oh, and it's, and it's just slow enough too that the, the hours would drag a little bit. But I kind of miss it, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad they don't do it anymore. It's it's kind of a love, uh, I don't want to say hate, but a love, dislike kind of thing because you got two days to see everybody, which I enjoyed, get me wrong, but you know, two days and you had that extra Friday in there, it was kind of a long weekend. Uh, the part that I miss, George, is actually being able to talk to the other manufacturers and actually being able to kind of interact with like some of your, your your peers in the in the industry, you know. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I, I do. I did think about, I didn't think about that. You're right. Because, yeah, because usually train fest busy, you barely get time to get out of your booth, let alone go see anybody. Yeah. And, you know, we, we used to send uh, two two people from purchasing from horizon hobby to go up and they would go through everybody's booth and, and see all the new stuff and then, you know, put in orders with them, you know? So there, there was some pretty positive aspects of that that would actually, you know, help the industry. But, sure. uh, yeah, you know, it, it'd be great if they could figure out maybe like Sunday afternoon, something like that, where everybody can kind of get out and spread out a little bit more and, kind of catch up with each other and stuff like that yeah like i said i didn't i didn't say i hated it i thought i thought it was a neat idea and, and the people who paid the extra money i'm sure that went to you know the 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 club that was sponsoring uh train fest my brain's going blank right now i know it's done by a the wise division club, but I, that's right and um i know no, the extra money goes to them and so i didn't necessarily mind it it just made a long weekend out of it um, train the the national. Then again, like I said, we're doing what we love. We enjoy it. I love talking to the mom that weekend. That you know that part of it. They, you know, serious guys that were you know they wanted to ask the questions and see the manufacturers right away. And then you had all all weekend too. And we used to see people um, mostly to man in the booth. And and then I haven't found out if Nick's coming yet or not. She's on on the fence as of monday when i left i don't know if she's coming yet or not but i know it'll be jen and myself will be, be the ones at the at train fest this year cool yeah it'll be good to see you guys so uh, i'm looking forward to it yep are you are you doing a clinic this year i believe i am actually i just thought i'm glad you said that because i need to make sure i have a clinic ready to go <laughs> uh, i think i'm doing it saturday saturday afternoon i believe Oh, okay. Excellent. I need to double check that. So, yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a, that's good to know. And then, of course, 
uh, got the big thing in uh, January at Springfield, right? Yes. You're heading West to that one too, George? Yeah, I'll be at that one. That's in West Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, Amherst Belt or Amherst Railway Society uh, does. It's called the Big Railroad Hobby Show. So I think if you look, up, I think it's railroadhobbyshow.com or something like that that you can find it. Um, that one is is one of the biggest shows. Um, it's four buildings, and it, they're packed. Four buildings. Yes. The poor. The the bad part is, you know, poor Chris and. And those guys, you guys are in the other building now, so we don't even get to see you at that show barely, unless we go to dinner afterward. You know, I got to actually get a hold of John about uh, our, our our space. We're kind of like trying to refine it a little bit more so we okay. can uh, be more strategic about you know, going out to our East Coast and spend actually possibly uh, a little bit more time out there. It's, I'm, I'm trying to also get out to Timonium afterwards, so trying to bring the right amount of stuff to do, you know, multiple shows and things like that, you know? Yeah. Well, if you do, if you do that, let me know sooner rather than later, we may be able to try to coordinate a a partnered visit to some of the stores up in the Northeast area because we're kind of thinking about getting back up there because it's been about two years since I've been to the train worlds and and Willis Hobbies and uh, some of those other stores up in the area. So, It'll okay. be good to get back over there. Uh, yeah, well, let's chat offline a little bit more about that. And um, sure, I, I, I think we have a, a pretty fun uh, and a lot of good shows coming up. Got a lot of neat product coming up, and it, it's going to be good just getting out and talking to not only our customers but our, our fellow modelers too. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's my favorite time of year. <laughs> Once it gets cold, that's when it, it all starts coming together. It seems like exactly. <laughs> uh, let me ask a question since I'm dealing with two well-versed individuals. Uh, one of the uh, younger members of the uh, railroad club here. Uh, he's in high school. Uh, I'm working on one of the computer setups at the front of the building doing some programming. He walks up and he says, here, I want you to have this. And he hands me a, uh, a 280 steam locomotive. No tender, just 280 steam locomotive. And it's just looks like it just came out of the box. So, and it's a Bachman Spectrum. And I said, well, why do you want me to have it? He said, because I don't have any use for it. He said, and I know you can put decoders in and so forth. And I said, well, you know, won't you let me put a decoder in for you and then I'll give it back to you. He says, no. He said, I don't need it. I want you to enjoy it. Because I've got a couple flat cars with lumber loads that he'll come and go, Paul, can I use your flat cars in my train that I'm running on the track? And I'll, sure, go get them out of the locker. Help yourself. So, I found on eBay a Bachman Spectrum tender of the right size to go with this 280. And I took the locomotive apart, pulled the 
uh, all the pieces off just to see what was on the uh, inside because I've got a four pin and a two pin harness coming out of the locomotive. My guess is the two pin probably had the common and the function for the headlight and the four pin was probably the left and right track pickup and the motor control. Does that sound logical? Uh, the two pin is the track pickup and the four pin is the headlight motor connection. Yes. Okay, good. Cause I've went through my, uh, box of uninstalled decoders and found a, uh, a small, uh, ESU select, uh, micro that this tender is small and it'll fit in. It's just, you got to hardwire it. Okay. So I want to start playing around with this because it and the tender are beautiful. It's just, I said, where'd the tender go? He says, I don't know. Somebody gave it to me and didn't have the tender. I went, okay, let me see if I can get this to work. So, all right. Well. You know, first don't let friends use ESU. <laughs> I said, friends don't let friends use ESU. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified I'm joking, what the two-pin was for. Yeah. Yes. Uh, glad you uh, did that. That'll save me some time. I'd have gone crazy trying to make the headlight work. All right. Yeah. So okay. the best thing I can tell you to do is set your multimeter to resistance, and then you can plug in the two-pin connector and find out which one's left rail, which one's right rail, and testing okay. the wheels on the on the locomotive. And then the other two you can test, and uh, one of the two of them are two of the – I'm sorry, let me say that again – and two of the wires will lightly illuminate the the headlight. Yes. Um, if you're testing for continuity, so you'll be able to determine that. And then the other two obviously would be motor. Your guess is going to be polarity. Um, at that point, knowing the two wires, you can apply a nine volt battery to it and figure out which way the motor is going to turn. Okay, Doug. Appreciate that tip. Oh wow, this has been a good evening. Just all kinds of problems solved. So <laughs> the. Uh, yeah, I've been weathering all afternoon the uh, 2CSX pristine blue, including the one I just finished yesterday, of, are getting just light coats of dust and lower underframe because uh, they're going to represent units fresh out of the uh, wash rack because I may put a business car behind one of them. Uh, okay. Nice. Just, I've uh, I've made I bet you sixty trees for the club layout. You know I made the mistake of letting people know I enjoyed doing detailed scenery, and <laughs> and hey, because they just moved to club, and you know you get an incidental damage when you tear apart a uh, a three thousand square foot. Uh, railroad and yeah. so can you can you rebuild the hill and the tunnel over here by the city so I said okay they said your choice of designs I did rocks and trees and stuff and then I volunteered for a project about 20 some years ago they made one of the members made a mountain and it has you know a tunnel and stuff coming in it and just rudimentary scenery and it's done 
in the colors that I used to find up around Albuquerque and, you know, down through El Paso when I was, you know, traveling uh, the interstates. And so I put in a proposal. I said, how about if I go in and change the color scheme to more what we have around here, which are hues of grays and so forth. Turns out there were a whole bunch of people going, yes, yes, get rid of the orange and stuff. So I've been making trees. So when I reshape the top of this, it can go in. So I found a guy, I may have mentioned this the last time you and I talked, uh, Chris, uh, Australian guy, how he takes and takes the weather shield, molded plastic, deciduous tree armatures and turns them into works of art. And so I followed his process and made a couple changes. He uses a spray-on adhesive. I use extra firm hairspray to hold the, the different textures of ground foam on it. Mm -hmm. Because then when I'm done, all of the ground foam that gets on the tree trunk and the limbs is easily removed with a mm -hmm. wet brush because it just liquefies the hairspray and just stuff flows off, leaving the, you know, the gray. And I've put a black wash on it because these trees typically have grayish uh, bark. And you, the black wash allows the, the texture of the the molding to come through and give you that depth feel. And so, yeah. but I tell you what, and then you cut off a little stub at the bottom that goes into the injection molded circle thing. You cut it off and you take a, I'm using some aluminum brads that are maybe half inch long and they're about two fat hairs in diameter. And I just heat them in a candle and then with my pliers, just force them up into the trunk. Mm -hmm. And that pierces the plaster cloth and the, the top coat that I've put on there and anchors them in place. Yet they can be removed if you ever need to. So I've already made, who knows, and there's probably another 20 down in my train room that tomorrow will get the hairspray treatment and get all the leaf material put on and then uh, get packaged and taken to the to the club to be used, but got to start spending some time on my own railroad. I've got half done mountains that have been sitting there for two months because I've been doing all this other stuff <laughs> at the uh, at the club. Now you know, did you hear the news? We had a tornado. Three of them actually go through Sunday night. That's right. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the weather service I'll keeps coming on. Uh, you know, warning, and then the up here in Plano, I'm in East Plano, the sirens go off. So I go into the stairway, you know, the stair closet, the closet beneath the stairs, and clean out some stuff so my wife and I and the dog, if need to, can go in there. It didn't get any closer to us, George, and about, it stayed 10 miles south of us. Okay. But there were one or two schools literally are actually destroyed they will not be used again oh, as wow. a school they Whoa. probably will uh just be bulldozed and rebuilt there were wow. down around royal and 75 so you're down around where medical city is yep 
Home Depot yep. had just put exactly. a new store right yes. off of the central there. Destroyed. I saw I mean, the just picture obliterated. Of that. Yes. I did see the picture of that. Because, you oh, know, my was... folks are in, in Arlington. Okay. Arlington escaped most of it, I think. So, but yeah, uh, parts of, oh, Richland and uh, just shy of or south of them is where the swath went. Rich, Richardson, Richardson, yeah. um, all that area, because those are, I mean, like I said, that's on my old stopping grounds. My, uh, okay. my old train club, a lot of those guys were based up in like Richardson and, and Plano okay. and all that. Uh, yeah. Spring Creek Mall Train Club, which is a modular club. Um, yes. So I hope all those guys are safe. I haven't talked to anybody, but uh, no, you know, it's kind of been one of those with everything going on. I kind of checked in with the folks and kind of <laughs> sort of called it a good for the moment. Yeah, there were some over around Preston Meadows and stuff. There's some expensive real estate over there, and there were a number of of uh, pricey. Yeah, five, six thousand square foot homes uh, significantly ravaged by that. Now, this, you know, I kept, because of all the thunder and lightning, I could catch glimpses of the clouds. And I could see in our trees, because of the lights and stuff, that we weren't getting any high wind because my wife said, you need to get away from the windows. I said, no, right now, we don't have much more than normal wind out there. We have a lot of heavy rain, but it's not thunderstorm, even level wind. And so, but I went around and shut all the plantation shutters just in case. And mm -hmm. the next morning when I took the dog out, there's all this pink and yellowish white glob, say as big as your fist, laying in the grass. And I can see it up on the roof. It was the type of shredded, blown-in insulation they put in ceilings. Oh, wow. So even that far away, this stuff gets caught in the vortex and gets lifted up, and then the upper-level winds blow it. And I went, holy cow. You know. That's crazy. Yes, it is. So, But, yeah, thank the Lord, didn't have any of that... Uh, event around here so but you know it's i was just say i remember a few years ago well many years ago now there was a building in fort worth uh there was a tornado hit downtown fort worth and actually twisted the building slightly that had to implode it yes wow so wind is crazy stuff and especially tornadoes man they ain't playing around <laughs> yeah these were like if uh i think the most Powerful was the F3 that started out at over Love Field. And I think they said it was underground for 13 to 16 miles. Uh, the others had 100 mile an hour winds, but uh, I went, yeah. And it just literally 30 minutes before the sirens went off, the sky was mostly clear. And then all, wow. I, you, could, you could see the front approaching and I went, whoa, this is going to get serious. So we've got another front coming through Thursday, but it's not supposed to be as uh, ominous as Sunday nights. So gotcha. 
Oh, yeah. Well, glad, glad you're all safe. Oh, yeah. And the Model Railroad Club was safe nothing because it's on South uh, Plano down into Garland, not okay. too far from the path. But uh, it was fine. The president sent out emails, hey, we've inspected, no damage, and Good. so forth. Yeah. So, well... Chris, you got anything you want to add to this? Or George, do you have anything you want to add? No, I think I'm I'm pretty good right now. I think we covered most of the lighting and stuff like that and kind of cleared up some of the uh, questions you had. So I think that part of it's pretty informative and, and so forth. And I'll just say if anybody has any questions about soundtracks or, you know, needs assistance with setting up CVs or lights or anything like that, uh, the user's guide is going to be invaluable because it explains all the features in English terms and then uh, gives you the CVs and how to set them. But worst case, we have a full-time uh, customer service staff. Uh, you can contact Josh or myself anytime by either calling or emailing, and one of us will answer your questions and help get you through whatever you need to. And then uh, to throw a little bit of, of self-promotion here, um, our soundtracks, <laughs> okay. our soundtracks, YouTube videos have been. We've been posting new videos every week, uh, little yeah. tips, hints, things about how to use the decoder, features of it, um, and trying to help explain some of the sections of the manual. But then also, and this is where I kind of want to point out, is that we have been doing a webinar series. Um, I mentioned it earlier, where we're going to be doing the consisting one in December, but. Um, they, we, these have all been archived, and we've been doing them now for a little over a year. And, and they're about 45-minute videos, but some of them are basically, you know, kind of a Tsunami 2 overview and stuff like that. But we've even got them in there of just what is DCC and how does it work? Um, there's a lot of people out there, and especially these other companies, they don't really explain how all this stuff works behind the scenes. And so there's a certain level of apprehension that I've noticed just talking to people over the years that – well, they can figure out how to make this work, and so that's fine. But because a lot of it is they don't understand what's happening, they think the communication system is a lot more complicated than it actually is. And mm -hmm. so there's a certain level of apprehension. They're afraid of breaking something or changing something and then losing control of it. Um, so we've got some videos on there. Just, you know, the webinars are what is DCC? What, you know, what is fundamentally happening behind the scenes and, and you know, how do you control it? And there's even one on how to use the different DCC systems. And we take three of the major manufacturers and, and actually go through step by step. And we do the same thing on all three systems and just kind of highlight which buttons we're pushing and so forth. Because if you if you're not uh, comfortable or you don't know how to use your command station, then you're obviously not going to be able to get the most out of the coder if, if you're afraid to push buttons or anything like that. And so we try to do everything we can to give you the information so that you can use the decoder because this is fun. I mean, we put so much into it. We're trying to make it as much fun as we can. And so by, by limiting yourself, by not knowing about the command stations and so forth, um, you're limiting what you can do. And so the videos are designed to help you know, fill in the blanks a little bit and show you what's going on behind the scenes. Um, there's a, even one that kind of talks about what is sound, you know, kind of to speak to your experience with that SD40-2 that you were, I'm sorry, the SD40-3 that you were working on, you know, getting yes. the sound out. What is sound? You know, sound is air pressure that's traveled through the air into our eardrums and our eardrums interpret that into sound. And, you know, what is, you know, and, and some of the, the science behind it. So check out the webinar series that we've been posting on there and watch, uh, if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, 
uh, you can send a uh, go to our website and sign up and we'll send newsletter email directly to you once a month and just give you on uh, what's going on when the next is on and so forth and and if any has any suggestions for topics for either YouTube videos or webinar series, feel free to shoot us an email. Um, you can reach me at georgeb at soundtracks.com or sales at soundtracks.com. And then Josh is at support at soundtracks.com. Shoot us a line if there's something you guys want to know uh, how to do better or how to, you know, a different feature, then maybe it's something that uh, we definitely can shoot a video on and post online. So, okay. Now um, the I think webinars... that's pretty much everything I. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, just to clarify, to look at the previous webinars, uh, is that on your YouTube channel or is the link on your uh, webpage? Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and okay. they're numbered webinar one through nine, I think, or 10 we're at okay. now. I don't remember what it is right off the top of my head, but we're doing okay. a new one on this coming Thursday, which will be uh, October 24th. So if, if this posts afterwards and you'll miss it, but it's uh, we're doing electric uh, decoder, you know, the benefits of using our uh, electric version of the soundtrack tsunami two, you know, for trolley streetcars uh, all the way up to heavy electrics like the GG one and the uh, uh, little Joe's from Milwaukee road. And so um, that these will, will all be archived on our YouTube channel eventually. So if you miss the uh, actual webinar, you can always go back to YouTube, watch it and, uh, hopefully be able to know something you didn't before. And if you have any questions, we're a phone call or any other way. Sounds great to me. Thank you very much, George. So, so thank you again for the opportunity to talk to you guys. I appreciate it and always enjoy talking to you and helping you out any you need it. Okie doke. We'll do it again. I'm sure. Yes, sir. Always happy to do so. All right, George. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.